All right. So let, let's talk a little background. Well, let, let me ask you this. Um, coming into the class, what, what do you guys, when you think of the letter, uh, the epistle to the Hebrews, what, what do you think of? What do, what do you know about it? A lot of controversy. A lot of controversy? Okay. Like in what, in what way? Oh, I was talking to you. Uh, who wrote it? So yeah, who wrote it? Is there a controversy on anything else? Who was written to? From? When? Does it even exist? What else? So that's like, in the regards to the background, is there any other controversies surrounding the book of Hebrews? How it's written? With the style, form, yeah. What else do you know about it? Melchizedek in the priestly line. Yep, that's going to be fun. Definitely there's debate on all that. Who Who is Melchizedek? Anything else? So yeah, like on the positive side, you've got probably the most clear writing on the, the greatness of Jesus, right? Especially as it relates to the, priest, the priesthood. Are there any difficult passages? Yeah, apostasy, huh? Uh oh. Is that a thing? So, uh, yeah, you know, it, when I personally, the first time I studied through the book of, of Hebrews, I, I was really excited about all those things um, and, and at, overwhelmed. Okay. You know, I know any time you come to uh, something that has got such clear. Uh, has caused such clear division um, in interpretation, you know, and, and arguments and separation where, man, it, it, it's overwhelming because you know you're going to get a lot of opinions. But it, it can be really good because it's going to, what it should do is force you to rely on good um, exegetical work rather than taking the shortcuts of, what does so-and-so say about this? You know, and and so when I approached uh, Hebrews, especially getting to the warning passages, which we'll talk about a lot, um, like Lane alluded to, you know, that there's not just like the big, big ones that talk about apostasy, but there's a lot of warnings throughout Hebrews. And, and historically, Christians and pastors have done uh, very different things with those warnings, um, from despairing to just assigning them to somebody else. That, oh, that's not for us because uh, they're scary. They're pretty scary. And so, for me, a- approaching that, I thought, man, I don't want to just come into this and say, "All right, well, what does you know? What does John Piper say about this?" Uh, what does John MacArthur say? What do, you know, whoever your favorite 
you know, author, study Bible, producer, whatever, pastor, theologian. Uh, I really wanted to get there honestly. And that almost sounds like a, a no-brainer, but I, it, it was so good because I really, I mean, I try to do this every time I study, especially if I'm preparing to preach, and, it, and it's harder than it would seem. I think a lot of times we don't realize how how we allow our our theology that we already own, how we allow that to be a lens that we see as a passage of scripture through. And that doesn't necessarily right away sound like a bad thing, but it can be. So if I've got a theological system in place, you know, so for me, I'll just take my example. I, I, I have a, the, a theological uh, perspective in place, system in place that says a Christian cannot lose their salvation. Okay, that's that's my theological position. So whether I say once saved, always saved, or I believe in the perseverance of the saints, uh, whatever that is, I, I've got that. And so it's easy when I when I read over a passage like Hebrews chapter six, Hebrews chapter 10, and I see those words in the order that they're written and assign to those words the meaning that I think those words typically have, I either go, oh man, what in the world, and allow my theological system to fall shattering on the floor, or I go, can't mean that, it's got to mean, and I find a spin for those passages that my theology will be okay with, all right? And I think you see that a lot. I think you see that a lot, not, not in the commentaries that I've recommended, but in a lot of the commentaries that I started out with, with Hebrews, that's what they were doing. A lot of sermons I listened to studying through it, uh, I thought, man, they're just, they're, they're sidestepping these passages by just quickly reassigning them meaning that isn't really evident in the text. And so I thought, all right, if I really believe that Scripture is my ultimate authority and my theological system better be built on Scripture and not my tradition, whether denominationally or whatever, uh, then I need to allow Scripture to really examine my theology and not the other way around, okay? And that's, not, that's, not as, that's, that's difficult. It's difficult to do because, one, you've got to recognize that you're doing it, and then, two, be willing to say, I will change my position if this is what Scripture teaches, okay? And that'd be a big deal. That's a really big deal. And so, for me, I, I always kind of viewed it as, uh, like, all right, I'm, I'm tethered to some really strong passages here, other places in the Bible. I'm really I'm tethered to uh, Romans chapter 8, you know, the Gospel of John. I've got all these places where I feel really secure that what the Bible teaches is that a believer can't lose their salvation. That, But I need to be able to dive into this passage in an honest way. So I, I pictured it in my mind like, all right, I'm tethered, you know, I'm, I'm locked down, carabiners locked down, you know, and I'm safe. So 
I'm going to dive in. I'm going to dive in. I know my way back. I'm not going to get lost, but I'm going to really dive in and see what these passages are saying, which was incredible because for me, I came out of that more convinced than ever of the position I already held. But the way that I got there through those passages was very different than what I heard other people saying. And the danger was the shortcuts that they took to get there would be the same shortcuts that a false teacher would use to get to a different position. And, they, and now they both have weak ground to argue their point from or equally strong ground to argue their point from. When instead, man, if we really, okay, if I really do the hard work and dig into this passage and then arrive at what I think, man, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, man, then more than that, what God is saying, then yeah, I came out more convinced. But my, my view is way more nuanced than it was before. My position on apostasy and the security, the eternal security of the believer is way more nuanced, and I think in, in a healthy way, in a way that adds to my sanctification, uh, in a way that my shallow view of once saved, always saved, didn't add to my sanctification. Because ultimately, I think it has the attendant purpose that chapter 6, chapter 10, chapter 12, and even chapter 2 and chapter 3, when these warnings pop up, they're intended to have an effect on us. And if I easily reassign them, then all I'm really doing is removing myself from its sanctifying work. And that's no good. Okay, y'all tracking with me? So, um, we're going to do that in class, but, uh, but it, and you can glean from that. You can glean from me standing up here, and when we get to those passages, you can glean from hearing me walk through how I got there, but that's not going to have near the effect on you as it will if like you're doing that as well that you're studying that you're reading that you're meditating that you're pushing yourself um in that argument so all right easy question so who wrote the book of hebrews it's easy god i said it was easy come on guys didn't you go to Red Oak Series? Just kidding. Um, yes, you picked my favorite one. Uh, so, ultimately, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, um, for me, and I think most honest people, uh, we just don't know. We just don't know. There, there's no... I, it's possible that someday somebody's going to uncover some document somewhere in Alexandria or... Rome that goes, huh, and now we truly do know that Apollos was the author of Hebrews. But right now, man, we, we just don't know. Uh, Origen, I think it's in your commentary, uh, he said, who actually wrote the epistle? Only God knows. Who actually wrote the epistle? Only God knows. Origen said that. Um, but who are some of the popular candidates? Paul. Why do people say Paul, you think? So the the letter of Hebrews references Timothy, right? 
So, uh, yeah, so people will point. This one's always funny to me, though. Uh, So I don't know if you saw this. Right now, uh, i got to do a better job because i got three commentaries jumbled in my mind. But uh, I think it's actually William Lane's commentary that takes more time here. But uh, where they walk through all, he really walks through all the different candidates and almost every argument that's made for whatever, whether it's Paul or Luke or Peter, uh, any other New Testament writer, um, what they'll all point to is uh, style. See, he's got the same style. Oh, no, those other guys, totally different style. And you start thinking, so style isn't necessarily like an objective thing, right? Uh because they'll also talk about subjects, like the subject of like what they're talking about, which I also think is funny, because what does every New Testament letter talk about? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, the atonement and the effects of it on our life. So, you know, some of the epistles are rather short, like Galatians is really kind of compact in, in what it's talking about. But most of the New Testament letters, they deal with, yeah, the, the heart of the gospel and its effect on our life. So is there going to be overlap in talking about themes? Yeah. So, the, again, that's not, that can be part of the argument. But, yeah, so people who argue for Paul, for Paul typically go to style and, and themes and some of the phrasing of things. Uh, or they'll just come out and say, uh, not so much scholars, but if you talk to a pastor about this who's got a strong opinion, what he's going to ultimately say is, it just feels like Paul. It just sounds like Paul. And I think, okay, so 2,000 years later, when you're reading it in English, you think this sounds like Paul, which I get because I, I feel that way when I read Ephesians or, you know, another epistle. Um, but not necessarily a great uh, argument. All right, so we got Paul. Um, who else? Did y'all hear that? So that uh, it's in your commentary, but I think I think it's the strongest argument uh, against uh, any apostle, including Paul, um, of why they're not the author. Um, and it's here if you look at chapter two. I'll just start in verse 3. He says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It, right, the, the word of salvation, he's talking about the proclamation of the gospel in this context. We'll, we'll get there. But it, so the gospel proclamation, it was declared at first by the Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus. And it was attested to us by those who heard him. Who were those who heard him? The apostles. What category does it put himself and the the reader, the original recipients in? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So, yeah, what Lane's saying is he he's a second generation Christian. He's not somebody who personally heard Jesus uh, preach and teach. 
He, wa- he wasn't an eyewitness to the crucifixion and resurrection. So that's uh, right there. Yeah, it takes out all the apostles, you know, the original 11. But it also takes out Paul, because how, how does Paul talk about himself in his other letters? How he received the gospel? He talks about the road to Damascus. Road to Damascus, receiving it directly from Jesus. Yeah, like he, you know, and he, he does it for different purposes, but he, he talks about how, yeah, I went and saw those guys, the, the pillars as, a, as such. They didn't necessarily add anything to me. He's not saying, I, they didn't do nothing for me. Man, those guys are, they're clowns. I'm just as important as them. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'd, I already received the pure gospel and that direct revelation from Jesus. He's saying they didn't add anything to me as far as his understanding of uh, who Jesus is, what he had done, and the, Im- the implications of that for the world. Okay, So it would be strange for Paul to speak of himself in that way everywhere else and here referred to himself as somebody who received the gospel from the other apostles. Uh, so I think it's a very strong argument that takes out all those other guys. Um, all right, so what do we know? Uh, we'll come back to some of these other ones. Oh, Peter, uh, I'll mention this first. Peter was interesting just because, uh, and I still think this is probably true, that second, what we have as second Peter isn't part two to first Peter. That it seems like, uh, because there doesn't seem to be a, a clear connection just in the actual um, content of first and second Peter, that most scholars do think that there's what we have is first Peter it was a letter written to churches and then there's another letter written that we don't have and then we have what we call second Peter which was uh he followed up that in between letter uh that for whatever reason God you know didn't give us for the Bible um but some people make the argument that oh no this was this should be there should be uh, whatever, Peter A, and then there would be First Peter, which would be the letter of Hebrews, and then Second Peter, which would be the follow-up to this letter. And it's an interesting argument, but again, Peter wouldn't speak of himself the way that the author of Hebrews does here in chapter 2. Um, people have suggested Barnabas, but there's not much to go on. Um, people suggest Luke, but just, just as people make an argument for the themes that Luke uses, people also make an argument that the themes are very different. And the, the, the stronger argument is not so much the style as much as, as it is the, uh, the type of Greek. And we'll get a little bit more to that here in a second that Luke uses. Um, versus how Hebrews is written. Um, people have fought for it being Priscilla from the popular band Priscilla and Aquila. Um, but that's, you know, honestly, that just seems to be a people wanting there to be a female author uh, versus there being evidence for it, especially since masculine pronouns are used by the author of Hebrews. Um 
so again, you know, we don't know, uh, but I do like Martin Luther's uh, suggestion of Apollos. Um, and again, there's not a ton to go on. I would not fight over this at all. But if you turn to uh, Acts 18... I'm really slow at turning my Bible when I'm also thinking of other things. There you go. Acts 18, verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus Though, at that time, he knew only the baptism of John, which is crazy. Uh, He'd only known up to the baptism of John, so everything he was saying accurately about Jesus, where did it come from? The Old Testament. He was just, he was preaching Jesus from uh, messianic passages in the Old Testament, which is incredible. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla... And Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to uh, Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So he's clearly, he's a stud, right? Um, But where uh, Luther wasn't just throwing darts at the idea. What, what Luther was getting at was he's from Alexandria and he's referred to as an eloquent man, okay? So whenever I read that, you know, I don't know how, how many times before, I just, I always thought it meant he, he, he spoke nice, right? He, he's good with his words. And... Uh, but apparently, that term in Greek that we get eloquent, um, it was a technical term for a type of education. So, let's say, and even this is kind of dying out, but let's say in the, uh, like in the world of law, okay, in our, in our culture, um, if you were a lawyer and you were who's who of lawyers in our country and uh, you you hear another lawyer giving a defense or you know making his closing statements and you're listening to him and you're 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 listening and watching that very differently than like I would right as a lay person you know uh, you may think oh this is a Harvard boy right here just based on how the argument's being made. Uh, the way he's attacking the defense, the way he's breaking something down, he, he might be able to go, oh, yeah, no, that's, he, yeah, he's, he's from Yale. He studied at Yale. And, and just have these categories in their brain, okay? And so apparently this term eloquent man, that term eloquent was for a style or a type of education that was prominent in Alexandria, okay? So 
the connection then is that the argumentation of Hebrews, the style um, of Hebrews, as far as how the argument is laid out in this uh, rhetorical way, uh, this type of rhetoric, uh, is consistent with the way that arguments were taught um, in Alexandria, in that school of thought. Okay, and there's whatever, plenty of documentation to show that in history. And so Luther wasn't just showing, throwing a dart blindly. He was saying Hebrews was clearly written in the Alexandrian school of thought. And then we have Apollos being called an eloquent man from Alexandria. Hmm. Oh, and he was powerful in explaining who Jesus was from the Old Testament, which is what all of Hebrews is based on. So as far as guesses go, it's got the most uh, solid footing, in, in, in my opinion. Um, so if I, if I was pressed into a corner on it, I would say, yeah, my money's on Apollos. If a gun was put to my head, I would say, hey, dude, God wrote Hebrews. What do you, why are you putting a gun to my head? That's a crazy reason to try to shoot somebody, right? So um, any thoughts or questions on that? Um, really, what we just read from Acts is the is the mo- I mean, the next verse says something about him. I, I think he's mentioned maybe once or twice. There's not a lot. Yeah, you know, Paul. It lay, I forget where it is, but Paul says he, he's kind of busting the chops. I think it's Corinthians where he says, you know, who's Paul or who's Apollos? Like you guys, you guys are dividing. Like they're making their own little denominations. Like we're a Paul, we're of Apollos. And he's saying that don't matter. Like. I water Apollos, uh, or I plant Apollos waters, but it's God who gives the increase. So he's mentioned there, uh, which lends to, yeah, like he was prominent in the early church as a church planner. Um, you know, I, he, he seemed to have, uh, he was just a powerful preacher. And so he, he had a good following. He was seeing a lot of converts and, and he was training up pastors, it would seem, um, for them to have that response. Uh, but, that, but that's all we have to go on, yeah. Yeah, the, the one of the defining qualities of the canon. Uh, yeah, but that's, that's a good point. Did you all hear that? He says Apollos would have a close enough relationship with Paul that he wouldn't, if, if he was the author, it wouldn't disqualify Hebrews from making it into the canon of Scripture, right? Because that, that's one of the, the measurements for if the early church would allow a book into being viewed as as scripture as as from god right um yes a good question um and i think it's to me it it's why when this first came into question why so many people uh argued for paul and some of them said as much um, they argued for Paul because that was the easiest way 
to get it included in the canon of scripture. And some of them knew, like, they were arguing for it, but they were like, yeah, it's probably not Paul. <laughs> but they just, what, what they couldn't get away from was, this is scripture. This, this is the word of God that by, on, on its own merit. And uh, um, so, yeah, you know, those, we, we should be very thankful for those, those rules and that really hard work that those, that council did to, to fight for um, what we have as the scriptures. Um, but it, you know, and we want to believe to an extent that they were inspired to do that, but we wouldn't say inspired the same way that I believe Hebrews is inspired, you know? Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of argument. That's why, that's why there was controversy for Hebrews being included in scripture is who wrote it. Um, but it's testimony, you know, aside from authorship was that, you know, it, it was used in the church so early on and you had people quoting it, uh, early on and using it in their sermons, um, you know, before a lot of these other, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Gnostic gospels and Gnostic writings started really coming on the scene. There is evidence that Hebrews predated that, which was, which is good. Well, that's a good question. Yeah, the the canon is like, man, when you drill into it, you know, at first you're like, oh, yeah, okay, so this is how we got the Bible. Great. And then you drill into it a little bit more, and you're like, ah. <laughs> so it's still a bunch of dudes making decisions. But I think, yeah, you just kind of keep drilling and keep thinking. And it's like, man, this is this really is amazing how God kept it all together and put it together. Which was really the purpose when those guys got together to do that. The, the purpose wasn't to say, it wasn't so much to say what was in as much as it was to say that can't get in. It, it hadn't been strictly written down, but everything we have as the Bible was already accepted by the church as scripture. And now all these other things were popping up and they were going, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, no, and here's why. And so they came up with the standard, and then it, it did, like, Hebrews was highlighted because they're going, all right, we put the standard together, but Hebrews aren't quite, we don't know who wrote it, we don't know where it was from, so that put it in jeopardy in a sense, but it's because it had always been accepted, you know, that, that the right people made the right arguments for it, even if they didn't believe all of them themselves. Okay. Uh, I do think it's interesting um, that we don't know who the author is because throughout the letter of Hebrews, he quotes the Old Testament, I mean, all over the place. Um, We're going to see this more in a second. It's really, it's written as a sermon and he uses... uh, the Old Testament as his proof text all the way through it. Um, But rarely does he ever uh, reference the human author of the Old Testament passage that he's quoting. Um, It's awesome. He's he's saying, this this is scripture. This is God's word, the Holy Spirit. 
Um, He's pointing to the divine authority of what he's quoting. And so it's interesting that, you know, whatever, why in God's mind, why we don't know the author, why he didn't, you know, leave that to us. um, I think it kind of makes sense that in a book that is always giving place to the divine authority of scripture, that he leaves this as, ultimately it's a letter from God on the the high primarily the high priestly work of Jesus and how Jesus is superior and how Jesus's word is what is ultimately authoritative as we'll see when we get into the first chapter so it seems in that sense it seems very appropriate to me that we we don't know um so what are some things uh you mentioned well I'll ask a question first so what are some things that we can see about this guy whoever the author was that will be helpful just in um because without knowing the author and without knowing the recipients and when it was written we we can ballpark some of that stuff but without really knowing it we really do uh have to do all of our exegetical work from within hebrews except for when it quotes old testament and we'll see then it, that's not always easy either. Uh, but we really just have to work from within the context of Hebrews. Um, but so with that, what are some things that we can observe about the author of Hebrews um, just from the text itself? Uh, he knows Timothy. He knows Timothy. Uh, he knows people in Italy as well. Yep, people in Italy, which we'll get to that because that might be because that's who he's writing to, Maybe. Um, does he know the audience he's writing to? Seems so, right? They, they know each other. This seems to be a given that when whoever first got this letter, they knew who it was. They they knew, they knew it was Apollos. Just kidding. Maybe. You can't really make bets and then like settle them in heaven. But if you could, that'd be a bet on a pause. Um, all right, what else? Well, what's he seem, uh, for those, you know, I know probably not everybody's on the same page yet, but uh, what does he seem most concerned about in writing this letter? Say again. So, so spin that into a positive statement then. What's he want them to do? He wants them to remain faithful, right? Um, so that seems to be a, a pastoral concern, right? So he seems to have this pastoral concern for this group of people. Uh, so he's, he's writing it. He's not just laying out facts. Uh, in fact, what we'll see, and you can go ahead and make a note as far as the purpose or style of the book is uh, this pastoral concern for their remaining faithful. (coughs) And he does that by giving um, uh, exegetical um, teaching, expository teaching, and then also the exhortation, right? So you'll see that um, and Bruce does a good job of pointing that out. 
is the, your text of, the text of Hebrews bounces back and forth between exegesis and exhortation, right? So like explaining truth about Jesus and then application, which is great if you're a pastor because you're like, oh, I don't have to make up application. It's right there, right? Um, so yeah, it, it seems pastoral so much so that it's really written as a sermon. Um, much like uh, I believe that about Romans as well. You know, both books. Like if you just if you just read out loud Hebrews without stopping, it's going to take you about an hour. Same thing with Romans. Um, so they're they're written in a way that they're they're meant to be read in front of the church as a sermon. Um, to then be meditated on and further exposited, no doubt, but um, initially just, yeah, that the original recipients would have seen this as, oh, so-and-so wrote us a sermon, and now he's going to preach it, though, even though he's not, he can't be here. It's kind of like the first satellite campus. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think like all of, all of those letters, yeah. Um. So we already, some of the stuff we said about Apollos, I think uh, we can recognize, right? He's highly educated, whether it was at Alexandria or not, he's, he's highly educated. Um, his, you know, the, the first four verses of chapter one in our English Bible, um, people who know Greek, uh, even outside of scripture or uh, outside of Christians rather, will say that it's like the, it's the, <laughs> this will be great. The most perfect Greek sentence ever written, uh, just how it flows uh, and, and how it, you know, the words that are used, the way, the way that it communicates what it's communicating. So this is a very, very educated guy. And that, that wasn't on accident. He opens, you know, he doesn't go into any kind of greeting, right? He's just, I mean, he's got you hooked from the beginning, the way that he's like a man of eloquence. Yes. Um, uh, obviously trained in the Old Testament. Um, he uses the Septuagint, which is you know, pretty, pretty com- very common in the New Testament. Anytime it's referring to the Old Testament, the Septuagint is in view. A pastoral heart. Okay. Um, so turn over to chapter 13 of Hebrews. We'll go just a few more minutes here. We'll, we'll talk about recipients and we'll take a break, okay? So I'm just going to read from verse 22 um, in closing the letter. I appeal to you, brothers, bear, bear with my word of exhortation. So again, that uh, I forgot to mention that a second ago, like, but in it being a sermon, he's saying this is what it is. Um, my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. So it's not conclusive, um, but some people think that he says those who come from Italy send you greetings. Um, and people have made the argument that it could be that, okay, people from 
Rome or wherever, somewhere in Italy, have come to see him, the author, and they're waving back at their buddies at this local church. Why, why else would people from Italy know people from this church uh, is the argument. But it could be just like, uh, you know, if we're telling the church in the Himalayas, hey, everybody at Red Oak says, hey, like even a church from over in South Carolina, you know, it could be like that. Just there's no relationship, but just what you know in Christian fellowship, they know about you guys. They care about you. They're sending blessing. Um, but I think that's not the only reason to think that possibly this was a church in Rome. What what are some other reasons for thinking that? Uh, yeah, because I, I think they knew Timothy, but that's not necessarily an argument for why the church was in Rome. Um, but I, unless you're, what you're saying is that maybe they met Timothy while he was in prison there. Yeah, I hadn't heard that, but that that's a possibility. What else? Or is Zuloff and Lane the only ones that have read their books? Or maybe just Zuloff. <laughs> well, I read it. Um, so uh, there's also, it, when we get to chapter 10, and then uh, we'll see that this church has experienced some, what, what, for lack of a better way to describe it, they've, re- they've received light persecution. They've received some light persecution. Um, but he says, you have not yet uh, endured to the point of shedding blood. And that seems to be a euphemism for you haven't experienced martyrdom yet. Um, and so some people believe that this was... Uh, this would lend to the idea of it being in Rome or around Rome where there had been some initial persecution and then there was a a lull and then Nero is emperor and then Rome burns and Nero Nero blames the Christians and persecution just explodes. And so people think that it makes sense and I, I would be I, I lean this direction um, and make sense that God would send them this letter. They've experienced some persecution. They were faithful through it, but some people are starting to actually leave the fellowship uh, under threat. And as, as things are about to ramp back up and in preparation for at that time, the worst persecution the church had ever seen, uh, the letter of Hebrews is written to say, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Don't don't leave. Um, so that that makes sense, it, and it would fit in how things played out in Rome with persecution. Christians in Rome would be tightly knit. So would you say it would be right at like the 
height of the first starting? Yeah, I, th- I think if if, it, if it's in rum, I think it's it's just before everything hits the fan. Okay. So it would be in this time where yeah, there's pushback when Christian when Christianity first gets there. So in their beginning stages of a of these house churches, um, there there was persecution and then kind of okay, and then it's now it's starting to ramp back up, and then. Yeah, and then Rome burns, and then it's just on. So I think it's somewhere before the Rome burns. Um, and then as far as date, and, and you guys will read more about this in your book. Um, as far as dating the book, I do put it uh, pre uh, AD seventy. Why is that? It doesn't yeah, it talks about the temple, but how does he talk about the temple? As if it's still standing. He talks about the priests as if they're still, yeah, they're, they're still serving in the temple. So after eighty seventy, that was not happening. And with the way that he talks about the sacrificial system, it seems like he would have used the fall, the, the burning of the temple the, or tearing down the temple as like, see, I told you. <laughs> um, and he doesn't mention that. He just talks about it as still going. So, yeah, it seems to be to predate eighty seventy.